believe on, on Christ, and she even invited them to stay at her house while they were getting started there. And then there was a fortune-telling girl who was sort of a sideshow there in town, and, and she was another convert, and Paul no doubt's remembering that. And then the night that, that he was sent to jail for disrupting the economy of this owner of the fortune teller. The earthquake that happened and, and, and all the cells coming over. You can read about it. Before the night was over, the jailer and all of his household had come to believe in Jesus. This is, these were all memories now for, for Paul of, of how things had gotten started there at the church in Philippi. And so here he is now writing to them. And they had, they had become good friends. I suppose an apostle wouldn't admit that he has one church that he liked more than other churches, but everybody since Paul has seemed to do this for him by saying Philippi was really Paul's favorite church. That was the one that he seemed to like. Well, you know, there was probably some reason for it. In his present jail experience from which he's writing, they had sent Epaphroditus to look after Paul and care for him. You know, it wasn't those days where you were sent to prison and and somebody else took care of you, or there were guards, but rather you got put in prison, and then your friends had to, whether you ate or not, was on your friend's part, and whether you were cared for, that was on your friends. All the, all the government did was lock you up, and after that, you better have some friends to help you. And so they'd sent Epaphroditus, and he was sending Epaphroditus back now because of Epaphroditus's poor health. But also, as you go through the accounts of the New Testament, you find no less than four times that, Paul, that, that the Philippians had taken up a special offering for Paul. Paul was real uh, careful about receiving offerings from churches. He, was, he had no problem raising offerings for other, churches, for other people in need, but he, he didn't much care for it about himself, and sometimes it was just a matter that he didn't want to accuse of just being a shyster or just taking people's money, and so he was very careful about that. But he knew that their offerings were those of love. And so he received them and thanked them. And you get even down to the, the last of, of this little letter. Once again, he thanks them for their remembrances of him. And so we, we come to, it's in that spirit and with those memories that he writes. Verse 3, chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. Do you have people like that in your life? Just every time you think of them, you say, well, what a blessing they are. Isn't that the kind of person you want to be, that every time somebody remembers you, they say, uh, thank God for. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. So see... We back up here at verse 3. He has them in his mind. They're on his mind. Now in verse 7, they're in his heart. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And now he picks up his prayer. He has them in his mind, he has them in his heart, and he has them in his prayers, and here's his prayer for them. You know, it's interesting to listen to people in their prayers. Pastor mentioned a moment ago about praying, and, 
and learning to pray and trying to pray. And, and it's, you know, I, it's challenge for me, you know, to rightly pray. But to even think about what do we pray about and to listen to our prayers and what, what happens normally when we have prayer time. So it's, it's fascinating for me then, this is what Paul was praying for them about. You know, often we'll pray for, for health or healing and we'll pray for safety and maybe we'll pray for guidance or something along that line or provisions, something that we need. But here's Paul's prayer for his friends. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's three verses, and it's one sentence. Sort of uh, reminds me when I was uh, doing, when I was in college, Paul Hazel and I had the same professors and some of the same classes together. We may have been in this class together with Dr. McCall, New Testament class. And back in ancient times when I was in school, you'd get these little what they call blue books, and you'd, and they were essay questions, and there'd be a question, and you just have to write as much as you could in those little blue essay books to hopefully somewhere that you rightly answered the question. And I remember one class with Dr. McCall, New Testament prof. I got my blue book back, and on the front of it, he had written in red, Jeff, your writing reminds me of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and I thought, I did. I thought, wow, I'm better than I thought I was. And then he had dot, dot, dot. You don't seem to know how to use a period. <laughs> well, here's, here's the Apostle Paul here. I mean, my seventh grade English teacher would have had a world of a time trying to diagram that sentence out. I mean, what is the subject and where are the verbs and what is the object and the adverbs and, and adjectives? This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. He prays that their love will overflow, run over more and more. If you're new to the Christian faith, and maybe you're brand new here this morning, you're saying, well, you know, what's, what's this thing all about? I hope you don't get too far down the road until you understand, at the heart of all of it, it's love. The Bible tells us God is love. And who does he love? He loves us. Again, John wrote... For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The great commandments then that Jesus said, this is how you are to live, again, are love-centered. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors as you love yourself. Furthermore, Scripture tells us this love doesn't originate with us. In other words, it's not all on us, but that God has made his love available. The very same love that he has, he wants now to give to us that he can live through us that kind 
of love. Paul wrote in another place, for the love of Christ compels me. That is, the Holy Spirit empowers us, enabling us to love other people and to love people you didn't think you could love and to love in ways that you would have never thought possible. So, Mona and I had been dating a little while when one night uh, I finally found my way to those all-important three little words. And you know, the atmosphere was right. We'd been to dinner. We were out at Apple Valley just looking at the lake there at Mount Vernon. Mm-mm-mm. And I said in my best voice, I love you. And I listened. Silence isn't always golden. (laughs) And I waited and I looked and I thought, she's choked with emotion. (laughs) And, And I looked and thought there'd probably be tears coming down her cheeks. Instead, she looked at me after the silence and asked, What is love? What a time to go philosophical on a guy. (laughs) I stuttered and stammered and said something inane in, in response, and we drove back to Mount Vernon. That was a little awkward. But it really is the question. Love is genuinely caring. You know, love... If, if I say I, I love, well, I, of course, is subject, and love is the, the verb, but if love doesn't have an object, it's really incomplete. I mean, what does it mean just to say I love? You love what? You love who? You love how? Well, there, there's got to be an object on the other side of it, and I love. And so this kind of love that God wishes to put in our hearts is genuinely caring for someone else, demonstrated in word and in spirit and in deed. And so here Paul is praying that the Philippians' love would overflow, but then he qualifies it. How? In knowledge and in insight. And normally we don't connect love with knowledge and insight. You know, love's, we think of that as being more of the heart and emotions, but here he takes us from heart to head and says, let me, let me connect all this together. My prayer is that your love will grow and abound in knowledge and in insight. Well, I started 2019 that I was going to memorize the book of Philippians. I had a friend challenge me to do that. And really, it shouldn't have been very hard for me because I think I probably, and I'm not trying to brag, I just, I'm just old enough and read this thing on enough times that I probably know most of Philippians, you know, I could just, if I, a little bit like puzzles, it's like, well, yeah, where is it? Or what's the exact words there? But, you know, I, I got a decent feel, and I thought, well, this will be a breeze. Now, you know what happened? I didn't try very hard, so I'm doing well. I'm all the way to verse 2. <laughs> And uh, succeeding with my, you know, with my memory, memorization plan. So I better get with it here before long. But these verses here in 9 through 11, if I don't get all the rest of it memorized, these verses have, I just keep running into them. They have been my verses for 2019 that I just keep coming back to again and again. 
What does this mean that, I, that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and in insight? I think there's two ways of coming at that as I've tried to consider it and read about it and pray over it. I think one is that we love and the love that we express is for the betterment of the other person and not to make me feel good. Um, and you know, sometimes we love and we love what we love to do and it makes us feel good. So here a few years ago, I came across a book called Toxic Charity. How helping sometimes really hurts how sometimes, and the author Bob Lupton goes on to offer a lot of illustrations that sometimes we like to do things. He, he, among other things, was an urban ministry person down in Atlanta, and he, he would just talk about, he said, I would see often churches want to, to help and express love, but the way that they expressed it actually in turn ended up hurting in the long run the very people that they were trying to help. And some of it was based on it just made these people feel good. You, and he goes on. I mean, he, it's a, I'd recommend reading it. I don't agree with everything that he says, but he, he pushes it home. He says, you know, sometimes you know, churches, they load up with those vans, and they go down into the inner city, and they spend their day there doing whatever, and then they turn around and, and drive back out, and they're all feeling better. But what's that done for those people? Have they been empowered or disempowered? Have they been made to feel like they are unworthy of addressing some of their own situations? Have we done... And sometimes it's just the easier thing to do, isn't it? Well, if you've ever been a parent, you know sometimes that because... You know how your parents say, this is going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. I, you know, I doubted that. <laughs> but, you know, there's times... To, to bring people along for their good, the most loving thing isn't always the easiest thing, and it's not always the thing that makes us feel best. And please don't misunderstand this as being some kind of veiled partisan politics. It's not that at all. But it's what can I do to benefit or bless these other people that will help them the most? But then there's another way I think of looking at this, that your, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and insight, and that is simply let me live in the jet stream of love because, or in the vision of love because love sees things and understands things and comprehends things that if there is not love, you just don't see those things, you don't sense those things, you don't feel those things, you don't, you don't connect, but when there's love, you see things a different way. So Paul's saying, my prayer for you is that you will, that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and an insight. And then he says that you may be blameless and fruitful. Blameless and fruitful or pure and effective until the day of Christ. Blameless. That is not being a stumbling block, but rather a blessing. You know, our lives can either be such that we're, we're a block that people either have to trip over or step around, or we're a block that people can step up on to a better life. Which one do we want to be? And how do we want to do that? So, Mona and I have two daughters. Uh, she's with one of them this morning. That's the reason she's not here. We have two grandchildren, and 
in South Carolina, and so Mona goes to see the grandchildren, and she's happy we still have a daughter, but you know how that goes. You know, it's all about the grandchildren, and um, anyway, she needed to be there, so, and so she's there, but our other daughter at the moment is single, and um, lives in Nashville, so a couple years ago, I was on my way down there, and and I knew she wasn't going to get off work till a certain time, so I stopped in Bowling Green, Kentucky at Lifeway Christian Bookstore, and I just wanted to look around, see what they might have uh, there, and so I, and I was specifically just thinking, yeah, there may be some books that would be of interest to Danae, our daughter who lives there in Nashville, and I, so I, I said to one of the associates there in the store, I said, hey, you got any books that you just think young adults might be really interested in reading? And he says, he walks me around, points out a couple, and he says, hey, you ever heard of Bob Goff? I said, no, I don't know who Bob Goff is. He starts, oh, he says, he, he says he's this guy that tells stories. It's amazing. He's been all over the world, and, and his big thing is just, just do love. Just do love wherever you go. He says, in fact, that's the name of his book, Love Does. And, and he's just telling me all about what a great book Love Does. And this woman, another customer in the store, walks over to, me, she, over to us. She's hearing all of this going on. She said, that book changed my life. She said, I was a Mormon. I didn't know anything about being a real Christian. And somebody gave me that book. She says, the Bible probably would have been too heavy for me at that time. But I started reading that book. And that was my entryway to pointing me to a real life in Jesus and changed my life. And I thought, wow, buy the book. You know, I'll buy it now before somebody. So I bought the book and gave one. I bought two. I bought one for me and one for Danae. I thought, this is this good. I'm going to read it myself. Now, I read that book, then I read the second one that he wrote, Everybody Always. This isn't his best story, but it fits for this morning, okay? In light of what we're thinking about, in light of being blameless and fruitful. He tells about he's, he's, been, on a, he's been on a flight, he's trying to get home, he's, bringing, he's been speaking, he's bringing the rental car back, it's Super Bowl Sunday, he's trying to get home, see the game. He said it was going, so he's in line here with the rental car agency. You've been there? It was going to be tight like usual. When I got to the rental car return lot, there were a couple of lines with an attendant at the front of each. I chose my line and began waiting. Nothing happened for several minutes, so I craned my neck out the window to see what was the holdup. At the front of this line, an attendant was staring into the air as if he were trying to remember the words to a Rolling Stones song. I jiggled my foot on the brake impatiently. I tapped my fingers on the dashboard. After five minutes, I let out an audible exasperated, really, into my empty car. All the while, the line next to me was moving along just fine. I was more than a little peeved. I can't deny as the cold realization I sunk in. Sunk in. I got that guy. You know the one I'm talking about. The only gears he seemed to have were slow, stop, and reverse. I sat in my rental car, fingers still drumming on the steering wheel, waiting for him to gain, regain consciousness. The car in front of me started to inch forward, but then it happened again. Entire seasons changed while I waited. <laughs> I inched forward again. I was at the height of my frustration when I noticed my bucket. Now, you've got to know about this bucket. So he came across this. Somebody suggested him carrying around a bucket, a metal bucket. And so he went around the hardware store, what do you need to fill your life with? What needs to be in your life that's not there like it is, like, you, like it should be? And for Bob Goff, it was patience. And so he started carrying around, he tells all the places he's carrying this metal bucket, around carrying this metal bucket, and people would ask him, you know, and that's a whole other part of the story, why do you carry a bucket around? And, 
Oh, you know, and some of them have some assumptions that weren't right, but nonetheless, you get it. So he's carrying around this bucket. So here he is in the rental car, the bucket sitting over on the passenger seat. He says, let me pick so you, that, so you know that. He says, when I noticed my bucket in the passenger seat, I had completely forgotten about it. Fill it with patience, I said to myself over and over. Fill it with patience. Finally, the attendant slowly lumbered toward me. I've seen glaciers move faster. He opened the door slowly and asked, how was your rental car experience? In the old days, I would have just clocked him with my bucket or made a wisecrack to let him know what a lousy job he was doing and how he had made me miss my flight. But something different was going on inside of me this time, though. For 25 minutes, I had done my best to fill my bucket with patience. And this time, instead of making the snarky remark that easily came to mind, I said to the guys I got out of my car, I had a great time. The car was awesome. You're awesome. Airplanes are awesome. Life is awesome. I hope you have a great day. And then here's what I like. These next sentences. I didn't even recognize myself. It felt like a ventriloquist had his hand up my shirt and was making my mouth move and was saying things for me. <laughs> now, take that theologically. That's not bad theology. <laughs> that is the Holy Spirit living in us, and sometimes it's like, whoa, where did that come? Well, that was, oh! That didn't sound like the old version of Bob talking, and you know what? It wasn't. I'd missed my plane by a lot. I got out of the car with my bucket and started walking to the terminal to book a new flight. I'd walked halfway across the parking lot when the rental car guy came running up from behind me and put his hand on my shoulder. A little winded, he said to me, Hey, I just want you to know. And he paused to catch his breath before continuing. That was a great sermon you gave at our church this morning. You were there. <laughs> I thought as I held back a gasp, oh, man, oh, man. You know, we can pretend we have it all, all the game we want up on stage, in the pulpit, on the field, at work, or in our faith communities, but it's how we engage with the rental car attendant or the grocery bagger or the bank teller or the person who puts on the car tires that lets everybody know where we really are with Jesus. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be blameless and fruitful. My parents, uh, when they retired, moved to West Virginia. My brother lives there. He's a firefighter there, my, my brother. And, and um, my sister lived in L.A. That's lower Alabama. And uh, <laughs> they, they didn't, they didn't want to go there. And if you've ever been there, you'd understand. And um, got a good football team, but that's about all. And, uh, and then with me moving around, they... Yeah, we don't want to go trailing Jeff, so they ended up in West Virginia, which is, is nice. So anyway, Dad, <laughs> it is, it is, it's wild and wonderful, it is. It, and anyway, my, 
So my dad, he saved his pennies over all the years he's been retired. And here a little while back, he bought, he bought a farm. Not a great big one, but farm. And farms here, you know, you grow crops on. There you just have trees. <laughs> I don't know how they eat, but anyway, <laughs> you call it the farm. So I was over there for a couple of days the end of the week, and, and uh, our family likes to get out in the woods. And, and he and I take a walk down to the end of this long field. He says, oh, Jeff, he says, that pear tree was loaded with, with pears. Yeah, it was loaded from top to bottom. And I'm looking at this pear tree. It's a beat-up old-looking. I mean, it's a bad-looking pear tree. I mean, just old and nothing you'd want a picture of. He says... But the bears have been climbing up and picking the pears. <laughs> and all these branches down at the bottom. Yeah, the bears. And I thought about that on my drive home yesterday. You know, you go through life, sometimes you can look a little rough. And bears get all over you. And you look a little tough, but life can be a little hard on you. But I just want to have the fruit of the Spirit <laughs> growing out all over that people walk by and just say, oh man, look at that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, gentleness, self-control. Isn't that what you want in your life? So let me close with this. A number of years ago, inner city mission, a man named Joe heard the gospel and came to Jesus and Jesus changed his life like only Jesus can and the other fellows had been coming and going known Joe for years and he would, he'd been just like them and now they began to watch his changes old habits died the way he treated people was different had a servant spirit wanted to help where he could he was different it was undeniable preacher came in to preach as they often do at those kinds of missions and at the end he invited anybody forward like to come and pray and the man did and he knelt the man started to pray in all earnestness earnestness oh god oh god make me like joe god make me like joe and he kept praying that way and finally, the preacher had heard him just enough, and he went over to him and leaned down and tapped him on the shoulder. The man looked up at him. He said, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better if you prayed, make me like Jesus? The man stopped and said, I don't know. Is he like Joe? <laughs> and you're the only gospel a lot of people are ever going to read they won't pick this up but they'll watch you and my prayer for you and my prayer for me in an increasing way these days is that his love in my heart and life may abound more and more and overflow with knowledge and insight so that I might be blameless not a stumbling block to people but a step up and fruitful and just keep going that way until Jesus comes again.
So in my first pastor down in Metropolitan Maysville, Kentucky, they sang a song there. They sang it a little chorus. They sang it a lot. I don't ask anybody to try it because nobody else has ever heard of it. It's the only place I've ever heard it sing, sung. We sang it all the time. I'd never heard it till I went there and never heard it since I left. But the words were simply these. Make me more like you, Jesus. Make me more like you. Give me a heart that's filled with love. And make me more like you. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Amen. Thank you so much for letting me be with you. And God bless you as we grow more and more in love. Pastor, come, please.